right. Well, tonight we're we're moving on all the way to chapter two. We're motoring compared to First Timothy, uh, so we're in Second Timothy chapter two, uh, and then we will get to praying. Do we have the prayer? There we go. Twenty-two pieces. It's like a twenty-two rifle. All right. So we're in Second Timothy chapter two. Um. And so we've been talking about how the things in Timothy, in 2 Timothy in particular, they're personal, practical, powerful, and there are probably a few more P words I don't know. Um, and when we come to this passage, Paul knows that his departure is at hand. Uh, all in Asia, just a little background, all of Asia have turned from him. And we saw that in uh, 2 Timothy 1.15. Uh, but there, there's Timothy, the pastor at Ephesus, his traveling partner and ambassador to the churches who is beloved, uh, his beloved son in the Lord. In the first chapter, we noted that Paul called him to lay hold on the promises of life in Christ Jesus, charging him to have no doubt in the love Paul had for him as a beloved son. Paul prays in uh, chapter 1 and verse 3 for his son Timothy and reminds him of his biblical heritage, encouraging him to have no fear. One of our favorite verses, 2 Timothy 1.7, as he faces the future. And lastly, we saw Paul charge Timothy to have confidence in Christ Jesus and not to be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ or Paul as prisoner. Uh, so in short, Timothy was to have no doubt, no fear, no shame as he prepared for Paul's departure. And those are the three you know, big points that we covered the last few weeks. Now Paul turns and addresses Timothy once again as a son as Paul provided uh, final instructions for his uh, dearly beloved son. So that p- takes us to chapter 2. And uh, he says in verse 1 here, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many brethren... I'm sorry, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if any man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the, uh, of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sakes, uh, that they may... Also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, uh, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to subverting of the hearers. Heavenly Father, as we uh, come into this passage once again, thank you for the songs of praise that have been lifted up. We praise your name. Thank you for fitting us to be your vessels of praise and honor, uh, vessels of light as we talked about this morning, vessels of praise. Lord, we're prayer um, instruments as well, Lord, as we're intercessor uh, prayer prayer warriors for you, Lord. We're priests and kings, and we pray, God, tonight in Christ's stead that you would reconcile men to God. Use VBS this week for that. Use this time in your word as we go to prayer 
prayer here in just a little bit. Tune up our hearts to do the work of prayer tonight. Lord, help us to be your ambassadors uh, in Christ. Lord, help us to uh, go before your throne and also to go before other people and reconcile those that are lost to the Lord Jesus, those that are saved to your perfect and and glorious will. Lord, I pray, God, that your work would get done, the work of edifying, that work of building, the work of uh, bringing honor and glory, to, to bring to light things that uh, would otherwise be hidden and lost in darkness forever. Heavenly Father, we pray, God, that you would bring forth fruit, much fruit and fruit that remains for your honor, for your glory, for your purposes, Lord, not for our own, uh, Lord, that you would get all the honor and the praise. We thank you, we praise you, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we see Paul speak to Timothy, uh, he's calling him, right? He's calling his son. Um, and not from sin, but from a place of fear to a place of faithfulness. Just as Adam was to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, so Paul and his disciple Timothy were charged to preach the gospel to all nations. And it was their mission and ours to be fruitful in a spiritual sense. It is therefore no surprise that we find this chapter start with a personal call that reflects the fruit of being a son of God. So, uh, before we jump into the details of this chapter, let me do another quick flyover um, of chapter 2, because it's going to take me a while to get through all of this. So, uh, this isn't in your notes, but I, I just want to kind of hit it real quick. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. So, the instruction uh, in chapter 2 is, is uh, fruitful as Paul helps his son in the Lord with his identity as a faithful man. Boy, we need more men understanding their identity. Isn't that true? Uh, encouraging him to be a fruitful leader by God's grace. Uh, and so there's nine things that identify uh, Timothy as a fruitful leader. Paul addresses Timothy as a son in 2 Timothy 2.2, just as he opened the letter in uh, chapter 1 and verse 2. But this time he builds upon Timothy's identification with several fruit-filled examples, right? So we're, built, we're talking, the whole thrust of this whole series is building people who build churches. And underscoring that is individual responsibility. And so um, he's really he's really laying some burden on Timothy. But before he gets the burden of the ministry, he has to have an identity, right? He needs to know who he is. So we've covered this thoroughly. First of all, he's a son um, in, ver- in chapter 1 and verse 2. And now we see in chapter 2 and verse 1. Um, and so uh, he's a son, his son in the Lord. Secondly, he's a steward, right? We just read it, right, in, in verse 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So he is a steward, right? We know we're stewards of the mysteries of Christ. So he's a son, he's a steward. The third thing he is is he's a soldier. When we get to verses 3 and 4, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier, Jesus Christ. And then he talks about the warring and the warfare that's related to being a soldier in verse 4. And then when you get to verse 5, he's an athlete. If any man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. Right? We even call the master's tournament in golf, right? The masteries. So uh, the master, he's a, like an athlete in verse 5. So he's a son, he's a steward, he's a soldier, he's an athlete. And then, one of my, all of these are good, but I really like uh, 6 and 7. Uh, and you probably remember these from my time when I went through this, this uh, section uh, several years ago. But uh, he says... Um, it's been seven, it's eight years ago I went through this, so some of you aren't around here. But uh, in verse uh, in verse seven or six and seven, uh, he's a husband, which is a, what is a husband? Like farmer. 
Yeah, it's like a farmer. Specifically, people will say they're vine dressers, but it's appropriate also to say they're farmers. I mean, they're agriculturalists, right? So they're farmers. Typically in the Midwest, I say a husbandman is a farmer because they are a farmer. Probably, oftentimes, when they say husbandman, they're, they're referring to vine dressing, but not always. I think that there's other incidents where they're just farmers, right? So they're a farmer. Huh? Husband man, yeah. Yeah, so husbandman is a farmer, uh, ag person, uh, often a vine dresser. So, um, in that, and we'll get dive deeper into that when we go through the text, but I love this. The husband that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits, right? So, if you, if you grow that, if Doug Cox grows sweet corn, it's completely acceptable for him to, to pick off a little so he can eat, so he can grow more sweet corn, right? <laughs> so they got to take first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. Uh, conversely, if you don't put in the work, if you don't sow, you don't reap, and if you don't reap, you don't eat, right? So uh, there's a balance that. It's very wise and very appropriate for the Midwest, right? We can identify with that. The sixth thing, so we've seen he's a son, he's a steward, he's a soldier, he's an athlete, he's a husbandman. The sixth one is he's a teacher, verses 11 through 4. It's a faithful saying, for if, a man, if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer with him, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Going down through verse 14, these things, verse 14 of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words, no profit. Right. So he's a teacher uh, also. And the seventh thing that we see, and this is going into a passage we didn't read, is verse 15, study to show thyself approved, a verse that we all are familiar with, right? A, a workman uh, approved unto God, I should say, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So uh, there's, he's got to be a student, right? you got to put in the work of a student. So he's a teacher, and he's also a student. So uh, he's a son. Um, Timothy's identity is that of a son, a steward, a a soldier, an athlete, a husbandman, a teacher, and a student. Uh, And then one of the things that we've been touching on a lot on Sunday morning in verses 20 through 21, Paul touches on him being a vessel. In verse 20, he says, In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, which you might think are what? Vessels of honor. But also, uh, he says in verse 21, um, uh, let me back up. I'm sorry. But in a great house, verse 20, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. And then he gets into the particulars of that. We'll talk about that as well. So he's a student, he's a vessel of honor, and he's a servant. Lastly, in verse 24, uh, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. You know, God's gentleness makes us great. He says, hey, Timothy, you got to be gentle. you got to be a gentleman, as we used to say in polite company. Uh, we no longer gentlemen are fewer and farther between. But it's God's gentleness that makes us great. So those are the nine attributes. Those are the things that uh, make Timothy fruitful as a builder of the church, someone who's building the church. These are, these are things that uh, become integral to his identity as his father and the Lord is not asking Timothy. He's telling Timothy, you know, you are my son. Uh, you are steward you are a soldier you are an athlete you are a, a husbandman you are a teacher you are a student you are a vessel of honor and you are a servant right and those are the that's who timothy was and once you know who you are in christ and you can do what god needs you to do uh, and that's very important especially when the weight of this ministry is going to be um, left to timothy so here's the application right the um the illustrations listed rest upon <coughs> um 
the 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 eight things that are listed in chapter two. There's eight. I gave you nine. One of those was from chapter one. <clears throat> Rest upon the one attribute of being a son in chapter one. So eight is a new beginning. Nine is fruit bearing. But you can't have those other eight without that one. You can't be uh, nine is a servant. So you find eight of those that I just listed are all hinging on the one of being a son. Right? You can't, unless you're a son, you can't be any of those others. Because you've got to be, you got to be in God's family. So we're all in Christ tonight, I'm fairly certain of that. And uh, because we're one with Christ, that makes us a new creature. Right? We're, old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. That's eight, new beginning. Seven's perfection, eight's a new beginning. Uh, we find all of that. So we can dwell in Him and bear much fruit. Which is nine, right? Nine's fruit bearing. The number one thing I would say that hinders most of us uh, from following Christ is our inability to identify with Christ as a fruitful follower, right? As someone that is fruitful. So God needs us to be mighty men and, and uh, mighty women, right, of God. Um, and so we don't need any more man boys. Or, you know, you say man boys, but now we got men that think they're women. We need, definitely don't need those uh, who don't even understand their, their, their physical identity. So that's childish. It's silliness. It's absurd. Um, and we got to put all that away and engage in the things that God would have us. Because there's real battles to fight, real souls to win, and it affects families and it does affect society. Um, and so the devil has people wrapped around the ankles, or the, uh, the axle, and the ankles. He's ripping them up. But the point is this. As a church... Right, this is not written to just your average Christian. This is written to the pastor of Ephesus, the man who's going to take be in Paul's stead. And so it's really a, it's really a charge to really grow up and and uh, and be who God saved you to be, so you can accomplish that which He has accomplished. So we know that Timothy is already now. This is your blanks. We know that Timothy is already faithful uh, uh, is already a faithful man. But Paul addresses Timothy in this epistle. Uh, he's moving him from faithfulness. To fearlessness, so he can obtain opt- optimum fruitfulness. All right, so he's moving him from faithlessness to fearlessness, so he can obtain optimum fruit, optimum fruitfulness. Boy, that's a tongue twister, isn't it? Yeah. Woo! I need to. I got to repeat that myself. All right, so he's he's moving him from faithlessness to fearlessness, so he can obtain optimum optimum fruitfulness. Right, so he he can't be he's got to be faithful. Uh, he can't he's got to be full of faith, faithfulness to fearlessness. That's what he's charging him in chapter one and verse seven, so that he can get to chapter two and get that that fruitfulness that God would have for him. And so faithlessness to he wants the faith of his grandma and his mother. Right, be faithful like them, so you can be fearless, so that you can be fruitful, like that farmer. Uh, and be a vessel of honor, not a vessel of dishonor. All right. So I think we're caught up. Woo! You guys keeping up all right? Okay. So, um, I just wanted to make one note. Uh-huh. I have a note in my mind about the husbandman being a journeyman. Someone that's established as a knowledgeable, knowledgeable of farming. Hmm, that's good. A journeyman farmer. Not a, not a novice. That's good. I had never heard that. So it makes sense. Otherwise, he's not eating, and nor is anyone else. <laughs> so that's good. 
Well, uh, we'll notice that the call from faithlessness to fruitfulness is personal. He doesn't say, hey, y'all. He says, Timothy, thou therefore, in verse 1 of this chapter. So we're back to chapter 2 and verse 1. Thou, Timothy, I'm talking to you. Thou therefore, my son. Very personal. Uh, Paul wants Timothy to remember that what is coming is for him. It applies to him personally. The word thou, uh, of course, uh, from its first use in the scripture, identifies with fruit. First time you see it's that verse that I printed in your notes. Genesis 2.16, The Lord God command the man, saying, Out of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. Talk about a husbandman. That's the Lord. And he made, and that's what ended up being what the Adam was, right? He ended up having to till the ground. And so, thou therefore, right? That's what he says to Timothy. Thou therefore. Timothy, this is what's going to happen. If you're going to be fruitful, you need to have these attributes in your life. Genesis 2.16, Every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. And so, you know, if we wouldn't have fallen in the garden, we would be consumers and not producers. Because it was all there for us just to take. And the, the person that provided it was the Lord. So the first command is is, the, is one of liberty. Right? You remember that? Eat all of the tree. Every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Right? It was really one of liberty. Uh, the only exclusion was the one that would harm them. And, uh, of course, that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so, um, and that was not an issue of touching, by the way. It's just a matter of eating. So we're getting legalistic, and next thing you know, we're putting on rules that don't, aren't even in the Bible. All right, so uh, three admonitions to Adam. Three witnesses uh, from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and, and wouldn't you know it, after Adam and Eve break that command not to eat the eat the the fifth mention of the word thou is found in genesis 3 now 3 9 and that's also in here and it's in the form of a call uh, and the lord called unto adam and said unto him where art thou right thou may eat of this here's all this great things you can do but when you fail now he's saying where art thou adam i'm talking to you i ain't talking to the animals here i'm talking to everybody where are you adam i'm looking for you where art thou Reminds you of a little bit of English uh, literature, doesn't it? Uh, Romeo and Juliet. Where art thou? So, um, and so, uh, this is the fifth mention of the word thou. And the and five in the scripture represents the number of death as well as the number of grace. And Adam is dead in trespass and sin, yet God is in his infinite grace calling him so he can offer a path of redemption. So Paul calling on, uh, is calling on Timothy, not only with instruction on where he needs to go, but with a challenge to grow forward in his faith. Right? So, Timothy, where are you? Where art thou? Um, as a man of God, where art thou, Timothy? Are you, are you these things? Uh, pastor Jeff Adams, our sending pastor, my sending pastor at Kansas City Baptist Temple, used to quote another pastor who's kind of famous uh, that used to frequent our parts. Uh, his name is Manly Beasley. And uh, he would say, Manly would say, ask people all the time, are you what is written of you? Right? Do you fulfill what the scripture says of you? And so, um, you know, who art thou? Right? Are, are you who God says you should be? So God in His infinite grace calls him so he can offer a path of redemption. Paul's calling on Timothy not only in instruction on where he needs to go, but with a challenge to grow forward in his faith as a man of God. So we may complete uh, discipleship, but we never stop growing and learning. Right? So you can complete, complete, uh, complete apprenticeship, but you never stop learning. 
your trade, right? There's always more to learn. I watched a, just the other day, uh, you know, they always put those reels on your phone, so you just keep watching and watching. But I watched a lumberjack the other day, uh, keyhole, uh, uh, sawing a, I was getting ready to sh- cut down my tree in the backyard, so it was fascinating. And uh, he he did this all this unique stuff. You're like, what is this guy going to do? And it was brilliant, you know, with this chainsaw. He he fell this tree on a with a channel, so that when it fell, it couldn't go anywhere. It was like a big Lego, just or a big uh, those uh, what are those logs? Lincoln logs, like a big Lincoln log, and it just poop falls over, and it's right in this keyway that he made. He cut this this uh, horizontal key thing, and then he cuts it from the sides, and it just then he cuts it, and boom, boom and but being but a boom, and I mean it had to fall right where he told it. You know, it was amazing. So it was fascinating to watch this guy very good with a saw. Well, you know what? I bet he didn't do that as an apprentice. Right, I can tell that guy running that chainsaw. He was a journeyman chain. Yeah, he he's a journeyman lumberjack. He knew exactly what he was doing. That was very very pre- impressive to watch. Um, huh? How did yours it went. It, it, uh, not that good. I broke a windshield in my truck. Uh, <laughs> it's been replaced. It wasn't bad, but it was enough. I need to replace it because if anybody wants to buy my truck, by the way, now I'm selling it. That's why I replaced it. I could have gone by without it. It just was cracked, but it was enough. Yeah, I, I, I learned as I went. That was right off the bat, but I got smarter quicker, so I'm a quick study. Um, and so, no, it all came down. I still got to get the stump out, but my saw is just not quite what I need. Yeah, it's a, it's a little still saw, but it's more of a pruner than a tree stump cutter. So I got one, you know, limb about that big off the trunk with it. I mean, I cut through it, but it took a while, you know, and, and I was like, wow, I don't know about this saw going through the trunk of this tree. So I'm going to let that trunk sit there a little bit. And then when it's a little cooler outside, not 100 degrees out, um, it's literally like 100 the day I could cut it out. It was brutal. I got mite, tree mites, I think, in my forehead, so I had little, like, zits all over my head. I had a rash, and then it, it was terrible. But uh, anyway, these are light afflictions. No big deal. Uh, my family, kudos to my family, my son especially, and my wife especially, worked really hard. And without them, it would have really been hard to get it all done in a day. But we got it all done. About ten trips to the church to dump it in the pile down there. So, no, it was work. It was the best workout I've had in a while. So, um, it was all good. So, anyway, enough about tree saws and uh, lumberjacking. But, uh, yeah, so thank you for asking. Um, I lost my place. Can you imagine that? So... Where art thou? Fifth mention. All right, so Paul is, is uh, I'm right where I need to be. We're, you're finally to point one, and we're about done. So, I, and I didn't even leave a blank there. So identification is a faithful son, nothing new there. Um, though Timothy is beloved son, Paul needs him to be a strong son, and he needs to pump him up in the grace of God so he can carry the weight of the ministry in Paul's absence. So notice he says, thou therefore. Uh, and I, I mention this often. Uh, it's a primer um, when he says that, when when we see the word therefore, right? What are we supposed to do? See what it's there for, right? So you guys know that. So this links us back to First Timothy, one seven, First uh, Timothy, or I should say Second Timothy one seven, uh, through Second uh, Timothy one eight, verse twelve, verses sixteen and seventeen. So all those verses, uh, like 
uh, like a rock skipping over the water. We can see this if we go back and read 2 Timothy 1, 7, 8. And I'm not going to have you do all that. But it leads us uh, right into this chapter, as I've kind of already pointed out. So in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1, he's receiving a charge to be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And Paul therefore references him back to chapter 1 to look at his examples. So point A, faithful men need examples of faithfulness. This is really just common sense, right? Um, so Timothy can see from Paul's example that Onesiphorus was an example of the believers in word and deed as he ministered to Paul in prison. We ended on that last week. Timothy can see that Paul's example um, was that of not being ashamed of the promise of life in Christ Jesus as he was ready to give his life. And then there's the application, right? Uh, you know, who are we looking to as an example of fearless faith? And who do you have? I'm fortunate. I have lots of them, right? Uh, you don't, you guys don't get the privilege of hanging out with Pastor Rajan, you know. Uh, one of the stories that Pastor Rajan told, uh, Rajan was telling me just this week, is uh, one of his, and I've been able to watch this develop, right, this story I'm about to tell you, because I get these little snapshots of history every time, you know, he comes in. So we're going to the airport Friday morning, you know, 5.30 in the morning, we're driving to the airport talking and and we're just catching up on things, whatever we've missed as he's been here. Because uh, this year we didn't get as much time together as we normally do. And um, and so we're going up there, and he tells me about the story of his of his of his uh, co-laborer uh, in a small town. He was on a motorcycle, um, which is customary. That's the primary mode of transportation in Nepal's motorbike. And um, someone says, "Hey, do this, do that. Take my bike here, do that, whatever." They're working. Well, he, unbeknownst to this this brother, uh, on this bike is some illegal cocaine or hish hash. I don't know. It was some drug that was illegal, and it was and he was busted. And the way it worked there in Nepal, it doesn't really matter whose it is. You're on the motorcycle and you're in possession. And that's the same way here. Yeah. So he's busted, even though he's a Christian. He had nothing to do with it. So. He spends five years in the jail, in penitentiary there. Uh, nothing they can do. Pastor Rajan uh, took care of his wife and kids and all that. But the good news is he started a church. And so it took him two years. And after two years in the jail, he realized why God put him there. And so he went about the business of preaching and started a church. Up to 90 people ended up getting saved through his ministry in the prison and discipled. And Pastor Rajan was taking care, the church was helping care for his wife and kids. I think he said five to seven children. I don't remember, a lot of children. And, uh, and so this man now is a pastor. And so he is uh, pastoring a local church uh, and, and uh, doing a great job. And he's through that prison sentence. <laughs> and uh, it's amazing. Yeah, I tell you, the, so you need examples. You need people that you look to. And, uh, you know, Pastor Ganesh, Pastor Pradeep, you know, these friends of mine, Pastor Mike Blake, you know, whoever. I got friends, you know, and I have examples in my life. People that are like, hey, man, that is an example of faithfulness. You also see examples of failures. I won't recount those either, but you know, you kind of choose which one do you want to be, you know, and so you need examples in your life that are tangible. And so that's what fellowship in the church is all about. And I, and then they're not all just out here in the, out in the, uh, you know, in the preacher world. I mean, there's lots of examples right here in our church body. I could just go through lists of people, and you guys are among them, of just faithful saints, you know, people that are faithful, that are good examples uh, for us to follow. And so, as we ended last week, we talked about Anessa Forrest. He was an example of the believers in word and deed. And in different ways, you you know, you watch the way Pastor Jim goes out. That's an example. He was not afraid to die. 
you know, almost to the point like, Jim, go get some medicine, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, you see Pastor Randy, how well he handles adversity. I mean, what a soldier he is, even though he's a sailor. Uh, you know, you got all of these uh, examples uh, in our church. I could just go on and on of those uh, fearless faith. Um, one time, I, and this was a book I was reading on the Korean War, um, and if you know much about the Chosen Reservoir and how the Chinese, they drew us in, inland in, in uh, Korea, and then they then they sent the Chinese regulars in. It was the Koreans we were supposed to be fighting, but it ended up being Chinese regulars. And, and there was a battle at the Chosen Reservoir. In this book, it starts off with a bunch of army men at a reunion talking about um, a larger-than-life figure, a uh, Marine named First Sergeant Rocco Zulo. And uh, the, the men are gathered at the table at the reunion talking about his exploits and how they all remember uh, leaving him dead on the battlefield. I mean, can you imagine that? You leave a guy dead on the battlefield. Uh, he was a soldier soldier who on numerous occasions delivered his men from destruction in the heat of battle with nerves of steel and unsurpassed bravery. As the men are reminiscing, First Sergeant Rocco Zulo appears, taking exception to their thesis that he is dead. This is 30 years after uh, the Battle of the Chosen Reservoir. They thought they left him dead. 30. Yeah, so this would be in like 1980s. Yeah, it was a soldier's reunion. And the dude shows up to the reunion. Hey, guys, I'm not dead. <laughs> so, uh, and so... Uh, he was left for dead, but he wasn't dead. And in, in fact, he lived because of the sub-zero conditions that they were fighting in. If you know much about that battle, it's amazing. If you've never read about it, it's it's worth a read. These uh, these men were unbelievable. I mean, they had no other options. It was that or die. But they're out literally with frozen, literally frozen stub feet out there, just uh, just fighting. Uh, when the ammunition runs out, you know, fix your bayonet. I mean, it is just unbelievable uh, bravery. Uh, one of the medal, one of the Medal of Honor winners in that same battle, I was watching a Medal of Honor show. Literally set up uh, several machine guns and went from foxhole to foxhole, just shooting them. And they thought that the, the the advancing Chinese thought they were fighting a group of soldiers. It was one American soldier. Everybody else was gone or dead, and uh, he was able to fight off uh, several. Uh, there were so many. This, the, they had they didn't have all the weapons. The Chinese didn't have enough weapons for their soldiers, so they had to just go forward into the lines without weapons and as the guy in front of you got mowed down by American uh, I mean there were brave people on both sides of this thing because if you're Chinese you're going to get shot in the front or you're going to get shot in the back it doesn't matter so just go forward and, and then the guy in front of you is dead if you can find his weapon you pick it up and you charge with his weapon but you're going into the battle without any weapon unbelievable bravery on all sides uh, for sure um, but uh, yeah this is a true story Rocco Zulo was his name and uh, uh, another story that's not in my notes here was uh, in part of the, in one of the the examples of this fella. If I think it's the same fella, it was he was a World War II vet. So before he was in Korea, he was in World War II. So he was a he was truly a veteran of combat. And uh, they were going through the reservoir in a convoy, trying to get uh, get back or get up there. I don't remember which. And they were pinned down because uh, it's mountainous terrain. So they were pinned down by a sniper, and everybody's hiding and huddling and. They're all pinned down, and finally, this guy—if it's—I think it's the same fellow. He's just had enough, so he just gets up with a 50 caliber in front of everybody and and just racks it and just 
starts getting on, and he gets up on where he could get shot. He just gets up and <laughs> starts mowing down the mountains until he gets the guy. And uh, finally, he, he neutralizes the threat. And it's like, okay, let's go. And he moved the convoy forward. You know, it's just like unbelievable. You know, it's like, who makes these people? And, of course, that's dealing with physical combat. But you kind of need to see that kind of bravery in spiritual combat as well. You need to see people. Fearless. Fearless. Yeah, fearless. Yeah, and uh, it's important. You know, if you've ever seen the Band of Brothers, there's a, there's a fellow like that. Uh, he's, I don't know his name. There's, in every war movie, it seems like there's one. And, uh, and the Band of Brothers is supposedly based on a true story, right? And there's the one fellow... But, you know, his thing is, hey, I'm already dead. So I just I just roll forward. Again, everybody's coming down. This guy's just bopping around like no problem. And um, same thing in uh, Black Hawk Down. Special Forces fella in the chow room. Everybody else is strung out. This guy's been through the same battle. He's going through the chow line getting ready to go back out because he's conditioned. He's ridiculously brave and fearless because that's just who he is. Right? Uh, and so... Um, we, you can't help but admire those things. So let's let's leave contemporary examples aside because we do live in Laodicea, and we can go back a little further um, because we should all look back on men like the Apostle Paul, right? If you really want to see some of those fellows, imagine standing. In, I mean, just read Acts. I mean, just read read Acts and take a little time to slow it down, slow roll it, and think about what you're reading. I mean, he's left for dead. He pops back up. He goes back into Iconium, starts preaching. That's where he meets Timothy. Right, he's in the jail. Him and Silas, you know, they're in the fast in the socks, singing, at, you know, midnight, and boom, you know. I mean, just story after story. I mean, he's in the deep. I mean, he by his own account, he's like, oh yeah, I did this, this, and this, and, and, and all this in the end, and, and, and you're just like, is this guy real? <laughs> you know, I mean, he's dead to self, for real, dead to self. And of course, he at the end, he's standing before Nero, you know, and he's gonna get whacked, and he don't, and he's like, he's ready to go home. So one last message before I get out of here, you know, and uh, and I'm sure it wasn't a fun ride to get 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 out of there. And so you got Paul, you got Timothy, right, who historically is believed to have died uh, and martyred there in Ephesus. Polycarp, another one. Um, you go 300 years out, you got pa- Patrick, right? Man, what a story there! Unbelievable story, Patrick, who was actually not a Irishman; he's a Scotsman, right? He was taken captive by the Irish, went back. Uh, was freed and went back to Ireland as a missionary, right? And quite a quite a uh, an impact Patrick had on the the island of Ireland. Uh, John Huss, another one, right? People say you don't like Catholics. I love Catholics like John Huss. I mean, that guy gave his life for the for the gospel. What are you talking about? He was a good Catholic. He was born again, and and the Pope murdered him, right? And uh, and so from that came the Hussites, and from the Hussites, and. Uh, you know, from that group, um, you know, brought a lot of freedom. The first mobilized, by the way, just a little side note of history, the first mobilized armor armor division came from the Hussites to defend themselves from Rome. So they put, they put uh, weapons on wagons and started rolling in the battle, and that was new. The people hadn't, at least uh, at that time, we were used to doing that in Europe, so they had the first uh, cavalry that was mechanized like that. So, uh, anyway, uh, Hussites, uh, John, Hugh Latimer, right? You know, Hugh Latimer would have murdered me because he, he was a Church of England fellow, but boy, by the time he figured out how bad the Pope was, he himself was eating the same, eating the same bread that the Baptists were eating that he was killing. So he, man, he was, he was a bold brother and uh, he encouraged uh, Latimer uh, Hugh Latimer uh, encouraged his cohort Ridley you know basically to man up because they're getting ready to go see the Lord so let's be strong and good courage and do this thing let's go die for Jesus I mean these guys were amazing um, you know John Bunyan um, 
not to be confused with Paul Bunyan, uh, John Bunyan, our Baptist brother, you know, persecuted most of his adult life. His wife and kids spent a lot of years without him as he's a Baptist in prison in England. And uh, that wasn't that long ago. David Brainerd, David Livingston. Man, I've missed Tyndale. He's not even on my list. What about Tyndale? Burning at the stake. Um, uh, Adoniram Judson, Hudson Taylor, William Carey, Jim Elliott, Graham Staines. Graham Staines wasn't that long ago. Him and his kids getting burned up in Orissa, India. Uh, anyway, all those fellas and their wives, Jim Elliott, uh, you know, Elizabeth Elliott, Rachel Saint, and it goes on and on. And people we don't know, like Hebrew says, it's not even this world's not even worthy of their name. We'll see them on the front row of heaven. I was just sharing with Pastor Rajan, as a matter of fact, we were talking about what it takes to open up a country. Because there's a country, I'm not going to say, because it could go on the internet, we're both particularly interested in. And I was giving him my, uh, you know, uh, my philosophy on how we should approach this and telling him why. And um, we were in the, con- in the conversation, I was talking to him about another country that's been open to the gospel that you guys know about, and that's Colombia. A lot of people don't know. I didn't know this until... Uh, missionary Paul Clark, which is Brian Clark's uncle, was visiting with me here in Harrisonville over dinner one day, and we were talking about how the, God has advanced the gospel so far into, into Colombia. What a blessing that is. And I look at Paul Clark like, man, he's one of my heroes. Like, he's a missionary. He went planted a church, indigenous people, discipleship. The indigenous churches are planting churches. I mean, he's a model missionary, but he's careful to say, wait a minute. The only reason I've been so successful is all the martyrs that went before me. I'm like, martyrs? Oh, yeah, and he gave a list of, of American missionaries that you've never heard of that died in the field of Columbia as, as martyrs uh, in the 40s, the 50s, uh, and the 60s that uh, most of us would, will never hear about them. They're not going to be in a book. Nobody, they, were not, they weren't in the right missionary group, I guess. So we're never going to know about them, but God knows about them. Paul Clark knows about them, and most importantly, the people of Columbia know about them. Because those people are that's, those are the people that paid the price to get the to get the gospel where it needs to go on time. So I can go on, and I'd like to, but time is up. So uh, we all need people like that, people that serve as examples of believers. Right? When we talk about examples of the believers in word and deed, we're talking about Paul needs some Paul needs Timothy to have some really good examples, right? Because uh, the, the kind of mission, the kind of Christian life they're living there in, in uh, Ephesus is not what we're talking about in America. Right? Uh, their biggest issue of the day is not transgenderism. And by the way, they dealt with all that. You don't see one chapter on it. You see a little bit about it in Romans 1, but you don't see like chapters and chapters on it. Because really, at the end of the day, that's not the issue. The issue is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the main thing. And that's what changes hearts from the inside out. So when we get back, we'll pick up point B, uh, because I think that's as far as I should go tonight. Because i got more to say. All right, so uh, let me pause the, this here. You guys got any questions, comments? <clears throat> well, when we get back, we'll talk about in samples. Now, next Sunday night, we should be, we'll be here. I think we're good through the rest of the month. Next Sunday, uh, missionary Derek Thomas is going to be here. So that'll be exciting. Missionary to Ukraine. I don't think Dave, I don't think, uh, Dave, I don't think, uh, Doug could have primed the pump any better for that. Yeah. Derek came on a Wednesday night. And I want, he wanted to come on a, and he also preached on a, a, the school, but I don't think you were here then. So that's been about 20 years ago. But uh, <laughs> he was here then. We supported Derek in Lithuania as a missionary, and uh, we had our first retraction of missions funds back in probably 2003 or four or five. I don't know. So he was one of the missionaries that we had to 
cut. Um, and so we cut him, not because we wanted to, we had to. And then um, uh, he came back to the States. He pastored up in Raymore at Faith Baptist. Uh, Sylvia Ketcher, uh, her, uh, some of her relatives used to go to his church up there. Uh, and uh, we were friends here in the States. And then he went back to Lithuania. And then him and I lost touch. And I thought he was in Lithuania, and he pops up one day and says, Oh, I've been in Ukraine for the last five He's got a Bible college. He's got ministry going there. This is before the war. Uh, he's been doing great in Lithuania. So he's a solid, he's a very solid fellow, a uh, good pastor, uh, a good man of faith. So him and his wife are wonderful. Um, all right, so I'm going to stop this. If you're listening online, this concludes our teaching. We pick it back up. Uh, we'll be on point B, faithful men need examples. Ex-